Historically, January is the month of new beginnings, of everything being reset. And typically for our church, it has been a, a month that is not really connected to the regularly scheduled programming. Um, in the past, we've called it J-term uh, or January term. And it was the time when um, we primarily gave options for home churches and home church uh, leaders. Uh, we offered different courses or workshops, uh, book studies, or the option to just take a month to rest. January is always a little bit different. And when I look at my calendar, even just this uh, a couple of days ago, a few days ago, last week, being able to see my calendar say January 1, uh, it just fills me with this kind of optimism and this hope. It's like there's, there's so much year that's uh, left to happen and it's untouched, almost like, uh, like fresh snow that hasn't been stepped on. There's, there's just, it's unblemished and there's all kinds of opportunity. Um, if December is the time of year that credit cards make all of their, their money with uh, excessive Christmas shopping, then January is the month where the uh, personal trainers and the uh, fitness memberships, they, they get into full gear because everybody is wanting to start fresh. It's, it's the time for New Year's resolutions. And last year, we tried something a little bit different uh, at the Meeting House. We, we ventured on ventured into this idea of sacred assembly or solemn assembly. And we spent the month learning from other leaders that had gone through this process of setting aside an entire month to learn, um, to kind of do a, a, a spiritual annual checkup, a chance to do a personal and corporate prodding in order to identify areas where we can have meaningful change a chance to exhale some of the carbon dioxide that's been accumulating in our lungs over the year so that we can make room for life-giving and vitalizing oxygen. When we rolled this out in our own community, um, it looked uh, different at each of our sites. Uh, for some, they followed a prayer guide that we provided each day. I will be doing the same thing again this year. Um, people could either do that by themselves or in community within a group. Uh, others used the allotted home church space to dive deeper uh, into what God had for them. In our Halton Peel community, we asked the question, what would it be like if we canceled all of our program programming for one week? What are the chances that we would be able to find an opening in our calendar for that amount of time? And as the spirit, I'm convinced would have it, we were able to find that time. Five nights consecutive in the middle of January where there were no other activities happening with our rentals team and we were able to set things aside. We were able to create space and allow God to fill it, which, which brought my mind immediately to the opening chapters, the opening verses in Genesis, Genesis 1. God creates the heavens and the earth and invites us, his image bearers, to be fruitful and to multiply. God creates the space and invites us to fill it. But then later on in Exodus, the people create the space. That would be the, the temple where God would dwell and God fills it. So what would happen if we created a space and invited God to fill it? And I believe what we experienced last year for that week was God filling that space for us. 
our motivation uh, last year was sparked more by crisis than it was about a, a spiritual rejuvenation. Uh, our leadership, we're looking for a way forward and, our, and, and we decided that one of the best ways to move forward is to spend some time looking backwards. What are the things in our past that contributed to us getting to where we found ourselves? What are the things that we can be celebrating and what are the things that we need to be repentant of? The, the things that we need to turn in, the, in a different direction. Scripture tells us more than anything else to remember. More than obeying, more than serving, more than having all of the right answers. More than anything else, God says, do not forget to remember. Remembering reminds us of all of the things for us to be grateful for it but it also exposes the roadblocks and obstacles in our, in our lives that keep us from getting close to God. We remember those, those things, or we we're mindful of those, those things, those obstacles, not for the purpose of experiencing shame or guilt, but we remember them so that guilt and shame don't have a grip on us so that we can experience what it is to drink deeply and flow freely with the spirit. what it is to be on a journey to be more like Jesus that's real and passionate. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to the book of Revelation. <laughs> the, scary, uh, the scary book that no one likes to go to, or maybe some people that's the only place they like to go to. But in uh, if, uh, Revelation chapter two, and this is um, John who is... Um, uh, on the island of Patmos, who receives this unusual vision of Jesus. Starting in verse one in chapter two, he says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? This is uh, Jesus speaking to John. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. And I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and you have not grown weary. Now this encouragement is coming straight to the church that met in Ephesus and, and John the apostle who's likely near the end of his life is writing from his island prison to the church that he once pastored and still loved very deeply. The church in Ephesus had been around for about 30 years and John was sharing an unusual experience that he had as part uh, and part of it involved this group of Jesus followers that met in this church. And Ephesus at the time was the, the epicenter of trade and tourism. Uh, it was busy. It was exciting. There was a lot of uh, money, a lot of, lot of uh, trade that was happening. Uh, but it also had a culture that, um, that had a dark side. It thrived off the exploitation of slave labor. There was ethnic rivalry uh, all over the place. And with the worship of the goddess Artemis, um, it, it hypersexualized these forms of worship that were happening in the city. It was a very, very hard place to be a person who followed Jesus. And they desperately wanted to do that. So if you can imagine this group of, of early Christians huddled together to share, to encourage, to make sure that there was no need among them, coming together and getting a hold of this letter from John that had the name of their church. There were, there's a people that it was directly uh, sent to them. 
And John has this vision, writes it down, and this letter makes its way to this community. And someone would, would carefully unroll the scroll and begin to read. And everyone would listen intently to the words. And what do they hear? Encouragement. Perseverance. That in the light of the kind of temple worship that included uh, temple prostitutes, it was so prevalent. It's just a regular way of life. These people were determined to live differently and not be a part of that kind of uh, culture. They were, they were com- uh, commended for their, their good, their excellent doctrine. People from inside and outside were trying to deceive them or try and twist the, the good news of Jesus, but they remained faithful. They're recognized for their hard work. They were bold, not just hiding, but making an impact within and outside of their communities. Imagine all of them listening to this letter written personally to their church. And after all of the affirmation and the encouragement, you hear the words that you don't want to hear. In verse four, yet I hold this against you. I just imagine the dramatic pause in the moment, the silence, what could it be? We were doing so many good things. What is it that, that you are holding against us? And the word is simply, you have forsaken your first love. So it begs the question, uh, what does it take to ignite a spiritual passion? What is it that we need? And here are some ideas. Here are some of the, the, the characteristics actually of the uh, Ephesian church, the, the church in Ephesus. And I think many of us uh, who have been in church or church culture for a long time will think of these things as like as sure uh, pathways to get to a place where we can ignite, you can ignite passion. We read about the, uh, the early... Um, the early uh, beginnings of the church in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. Uh, in chapter, uh, chapter 19, verses 8, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became abst- um, abstinent. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all of the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. This idea of mission and evangelism. Paul was the great evangelist. Paul always started off in the temple, but after a short time, he would be dismissed from the temple and then, asked, and, then, and then be in the market square, speaking with the people, debating ideas, challenge, challenging them. And some people were, were amazed and uh, drawn to his arguments, but then uh, it was an opportunity for this, this uh, great uh, evangelist, evangelist mission. So we can say that mission or evangelism as being one of those characteristics that would invite passion. Or another another marker that many of us uh, may have. I know this is a tradition that I came, uh, came from was this idea of miraculous acts. We read in Acts chapter 19, verse 11 to 12, God did extraordinary or unusual miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left him. God was working in amazing supernatural ways. People were sick, people were demonized, and they would have an encounter with Paul and be completely transformed. Now, I, I've, been, I've been part of uh, churches that emphasize these kinds of experiences where, where an emphasis on a physical manifestation of God and the spirit 
was the, the, that was the emphasis that if we can just get that happening in our place, then we'll know and be ignited and people will be passionate for, for the things that come with God. Or cultural impact. We read in Acts chapter 19, uh, verse 17 to 19, after all of these things, these, these miraculous signs of happening, uh, when this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now became and openly confessed what they had done. And a number had practiced sorcery, brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachma. The economy of Ephesus was greatly affected by the good news. Millions would have been burnt into oblivion of people renouncing or turning away from their, their old ways and moving towards a, a Jesus-centered life. This is the cause for the riot that happens in the same chapter a little later on. And, and, and we can think the same thing when we think of um, wanting to ignite passion. If we just have the right people of influence in the right positions, uh, politicians or successful business people to infiltrate the culture, we can make a difference in the community. Uh, let's be strategic and attract some of the most influential and important people. And if we can, we can get them on the side of Jesus, it will go well for the church. We need to have a massive cultural impact. But this was still not enough for the church in Ephesus to hold on to its, its fervor, to keep them from forsaking their first love. Or this idea of the super pastor, if we just have the right person in the pulpit saying the right words, then people will be uh, spiritually ignited. But let me just run down the list of, of the, the, the pastors in succession that were, were leading the church in Ephesus. The church was planted by Paul, the greatest evangelist in the history of, our, of the church. And he passed the reins over to Timothy and Titus, the, the, the same ones that are, that are mentioned in, in the New Testament. And from Timothy and Titus, we have Apollos, one of the best and eloquent speakers and evangelists of the entire New Testament. And then if it couldn't get any better, you have the Apostle John, an all-star lineup, an all-star lineup of some of the most prolific and incredible leaders and pastors. And we can put so much of our hope and our faith in individuals. But then the question comes is what happens when they leave or what happens when, when they end up failing? That wasn't enough. So it needed to be something more. So maybe uh, the answer is good teaching or good doctrine. Ephesians, the book was, was likely written 30 years before revelation. And, and the book of Ephesians, if you've ever read it is amazing. It's theologically packed with all kinds of good things. It talks about the oneness in Christ, grace through faith, the mystery of the gospel it talks about this new life in Jesus. Uh, unity within the body. It, it, it gives instruction on, on relationships and healthy uh, interactions between men and women. It teaches on spiritual warfare. It is rich from top to bottom. They also had the pastoral epistles. First and second Timothy were directly to, to Timothy while he was uh, uh, leading that, that small church. Yet it still wasn't enough. Mission unusual miracles, cultural impact, an all-star lineup of pastors, good doctrine. None of these things held up. And in verses four and five of, uh, of Revelation 2, it says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height which you have fallen. 
again, don't forget to remember. A callback to something that they would have known very well. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, it says this, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. It's almost uh, blasphemous to imagine that somehow ordinary misfits and outcasts, people that would be struggling to survive in a hostile environment would be considered worthy enough to be sitting with God. And John asks them to remember who you are and whose you are. Sometimes uh, they say uh, familiarity can, can breed contempt. And sometimes the, the truth and the goodness when you're so close to it for a long time can actually uh, breed indifference. But it also can move towards pride and arrogance. The passage in 1 Corinthians says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And God chose the lowly things of this world and, and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. This passage is reminding us that, yes, you are lifted up, but it's not something that you've earned. It was a gift that you've received. And going back to, to Revelation, keep reading in verse five. He says, repent and do the things you did at first. And this word repent sounds like bad news. And for, for many of us, myself included, I hear this old judgmental religious word, and it reminds me of the, the man that you might see downtown holding a sign or screaming through a megaphone. For the religious mind, the word repent is all about our, moral, our, our morality. Stop doing the wrong thing and start doing the right thing is what uh, it means to the religious mind. But for the follower of Jesus, it isn't about rule of law. It's about a way of love. For Jesus, it is more in line with a covenant, not a contract but a, a love relationship. When Jesus says repent to his first disciples, he was calling them to change the direction in which they were looking for happiness. Repent is an invitation to grow up and become a few, a, a fully mature human being. N.T. Wright says Jesus was summoning his hearers to give up their whole way of life, their national and social agendas, and to trust him with a different agenda, a different set of goals, and this, of course, included a change of heart, but went far beyond it. If we're wanting to see a renewed passion in our personal lives, in our church communities, and in our neighborhoods, we need to be a people that are willing to remember who we are in Jesus. Our job is not to remain in our feelings toward God, but to remain in what God feels towards us. Deep love, deep care, deep compassion. And that's what uh, this month is, is an invitation to be, uh, an invitation to remember who we are and whose we, who's we are. 
an opportunity for us to, to, to change the way that we think and not to, not to do it in, in a one time, but to, but to create a, a rhythm of, of repentance and that what is it to change the way that I'm looking and the way that I'm orienting my, my way of being. I know the expression will be different depending on the site that you're, you're, um, you're attending, where you're, where you're at regularly. Um, in Halton Peel, uh, in our Oakville facility, we'll be doing the same thing that we did last year. And, and I know it's uh, not possible for, for some of you, but for those that are available, I want to extend an invitation for the, the end of January, uh, starting on the 20, 22nd of January from seven o'clock. We'll be, we'll be meeting each night um, to pray, uh, to remember, um, to turn our faces in a new direction. Uh, and we want to extend the invitation to you to be a part of that. Um, it's not to hear amazing teaching. Um, it's not to experience a, a big uh, full band and have a, an amazing uh, musical worship experience that's, that's like a concert. But it will be an opportunity for us to intentionally turn our faces in the direction of Jesus. I'd like to close with um, Paul's prayer that he shares in the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, starting in verse 14. Paul says this, and this is uh, my prayer for, for all of us. When I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him, that your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ through, though it is too great to understand fully then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen.